welcome to the GNT Show. Alright, welcome everyone to another wonderful world in the world of Rugby League and the GNT Show. Once again, I am joined by a man who had quite an eventful week this week. He he got He had to go back into the office this week and twice showed up to the wrong venue before finding the right venue, then crashed a party that he wasn't invited to, got a lift home from a random stranger and narrowly avoided a drive-by. Gee. Welcome to my Thursday night. How are you going this week? <laughs> and for those of you, I'm good. For those of you thinking we made that up, we absolutely did not make that up. No, we did not. That is a day in the life of G. did not make that up at all. Oh, God. Because he does a rugby league podcast. I should work for the NRL after that night. It's now seeped into your real life. Absolutely. I'm applying for the job at the NRL. This was my Thursday. You're hired. Go. Yeah, it's not It's not crazy enough for the week no. in NRL. No. We'll start off with the big news of, well, there was a lot of news, actually. I don't know whether you were following it or not. I didn't think there was, but every time I say that, I'm proven wrong every week. So go ahead. So I'll, I'll go through the news. Of course, I'll start at the top. Victor Radley's spray from Trent Robinson, which was fantastic. One of the highlights of the season. And I love the way Trent Robinson delivers a deadpan. My favourite part of the press conference was when he said, how many of you guys have been on a flight? Put your hand up. How hard is it to make it home without causing a scene? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> and he's absolutely right. Pretty easy to make it home without causing a scene if you came to Melbourne or Canberra or somewhere. And what about Buzz Rothfield? That he comes out with the puff piece going, oh, all he did was laugh really loudly and there's a banking executive willing to... <laughs> Of course, yes. Oh my god! Doesn't happen to be the personal sponsor of Victor Radley, does he? No, 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 no. No. He just he just happens to be someone called Mike Polites. Of course, yes. (laughs) Mick Polites. Yeah, correct. He doesn't own City Four. No. The other big news of this week was, of course, the Broncos clean out. Started with Tavita Pangai Jr. It looks like he's off to the Tigers. Which is fantastic. Yeah, that, he can, I'm sure he can make a 50-point difference every week for the Tigers. <laughs> According to, to James Tamo, he's, um, Madge McGuire is really great at motivating his players, so he'll make a massive difference to Tavita Pangai Jr. <laughs> My God. I mean... What part of that defensive effort do you go, the Broncos are really terrible defensively? Like, what does Madge McGuire think? He goes, you know what, we need to stiffen our defence. I know, I'll get to meet a Pangai Jr. <laughs> of course, yes. <laughs> I mean, oh my God. But he did give a very heartfelt interview after the game on Thursday, which I thought was interesting. He was very candid. Peter Nolan, the head of football, also got rolled. Yes, he did. And he's been replaced by Ben Eichen. That part I actually missed. That's interesting. Yeah, he's been replaced by Ben Eichen, so Ben Eichen takes up that role later this week. So I'd imagine Wayne Bennett's not going back to the Broncos then. Probably not. Yeah, okay, just checking. Yep. I don't know whether they've patched things up. Yep. Andrew Kroll, their head of performance, also got, 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 got his marching orders. Um, that's in addition to Matt Lodge looking for a new club. And assistant coaches John Cartwright and Terry Madison look like they're under the spotlight there as well. Now, the interesting thing here is, and it's been subtly alluded to in the media is the fact that the Broncos are an Isaac Moses club. They've got a lot of Isaac Moses' oh, players and that. representatives. Yes. So it does look like they're looking to diversify some of the agents they're dealing with. Okay, so they'll be dealing with Moses Isaac instead this time, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Mick Polites. Yeah, and Mick Polites, yeah, of course. 
you know, ama- uh, you know, amazing, amazing scenes at the Broncos. I mean, they're 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 in all sorts. Well, of who thought they were going to make the eight other than Kevin Walters? We're going to make the semis. No, you're not, mate. Well, if you have, if you actually have a look at Kevin Walters' track record as a coach, mm. um, it's not that good. In fact, you know who has a pretty good track record and started off fantastically well at the Titans is John Cartwright. I think it's all gone pear shaped for him. Absolutely since then, has, though. yeah. Um, I think Terry Madison's trying to bring back the topo goal kicking for the. <laughs> That's the only other thing Single they can try next. They've tried Carmichael Hunt, Sam Bacco, Darren Lockyer's coming playing. <laughs> there are always plenty of player movement stories. So Dallin Wateni Zelezniak to Auckland or to the New Zealand Warriors. And it's rumoured that Matt Lodge and Gareth Widdop are also going there. Now, apparently DWS, DWZ is going over there to replace Ken Momolo. But what is going on with the recruitment at the Warriors? If Dennis to DWZ... And the Warriors, they are going to play him as a winger, which I think he's a better position for him. He's a winger. Better position he's a for winger. Him. But is he better than Kem Muamalo? Like, really? But they, they look like they've got a good crop of youngsters coming through, and they've got a coach who's got a good track record with bringing youngsters through. So why are they going to recruit these grizzly veterans? Well, like, Gareth Widdop must be slower than you and I by now. Gareth Widdop is, is a grizzly veteran. He was slow in his last year. DWZ is actually still quite young because I think we forget that he started off at the Panthers when he was like 18. But he's a veteran that's still quite young. So uh, look, I think DWZ is a decent winger on a good with a good side. He's, he's actually a decent winger, but he's not a star winger or a star fullback or anything else. So he complements a good team very well. What, what about Lodge and Widdop? I don't understand those signings at all, to be honest. I really don't. I well, don't not un- signings, but they're rumours. Well, Tenny Zalesniak's 26 this year, by oh, the way. 26, okay. I don't understand the Widdop signing. Oh, you've got Chanel Harris-Tavita, you've got Cody Nicarima, but there were rumours that Cody Nicarima might want out, even though he's signed, So depending on family situation. so The other big news is, of course, the clampdown on concussion and how seriously the NRL players are taking it. And as a result, looks like Jason Tomalolo, Junior Polo, and Fanua Blake are going to have fights at the end of the season. Of course. <laughs> so if you can't get concussed on the field, may as well go out in the ring. Well, what about the article by Andrew Webster, which actually alluded to that hypocrisy in that, you know, they're talking about Boyd Cordner. Look, you know, he retired because of concussions. That's why we're cracking down. And Boyd Cordner said he actually used to get concussed, like you said, because of his low tackling technique. And he'd get his Correct. 60 or 70% of the concussions are done on the defensive end. I agree there needs to be less concussions in the game, but you've got to do the analysis, come up with a recommendation, implement it in the off-season, give a chance, teams a chance to adjust. The, the blowouts continued even though the head high crackdown stopped now. That's because they left their bodies in the dressing room, some of those teams. <laughs> if you're going to have this six again rule, because there's no contest for the ball at scrum time and there's no contest for the ball anymore at the ruck. So if you're going to have this six again rule where you score... And you get you you got to have the scoring team kick off now. Well, possibly, you, you, yeah. You can't get the ball back. Look at the second half against the Titans or the first twenty minutes in the Tigers game. Like the Tigers in the first twenty minutes had the ball for twenty seconds, which is unheard of. You can't get the ball back. That's true. So that's why you're getting these big momentum swings, right? Because there's one team, all they're doing is tackling. It's just these big momentum swings in doing the game. Doing too much tackling and they're running out of petrol. And who gets six again and who doesn't? I mean, as the season's gone on, ironically, I think they've gotten more inconsistent. Th- that, that's the refs. It's always been that way. You know, half the time you see a penalty for laying on the tackle play and then you see the same thing happen 60 times during the rest of the game. They just pick and choose when to give it. So I'd imagine the six again would be very similar. Yeah. So anyway... Well, in more news, though, in more player 
movement. Blake Ferguson yeah. to Rugby Union. Read that this morning. Yeah, really interesting. I wouldn't have thought that. Could you imagine a personality less suited to a sport than Blake Ferguson to Rugby Union? Probably will play okay, but I mean, really? He's 32, 33, and he's your star signing and face of the game? By any objective measure, the defensive reads in Rugby Union are more technical. There's more players on the field. There's more set plays, etc., etc. If Blake Ferguson struggles on the right edge with coming in versus sliding in rugby league, I'm not sure he's going to grasp, at this stage of his career, the technicalities of defending in rugby union. I think he'll probably be okay because I think rugby union sometimes is a little bit slower. It is slower. That that I don't disagree with. We saw it when Israel Folau went first went to rugby union as well. It took him a long time to get the defensive patterns. You have to because different speed, different angles, and there's more set plays. There's lineouts. There's scrums. There's more. The game revolves around set plays more. It'll be interesting to see how he goes. But that was just planted by his manager to try and drum up more interest. He's not going to rugby union at this stage in his career. I don't think so. It does look like. Sydney is going to get two new stadiums too, or not one new stadium for the Panthers. Of course, yes. Which are selling out every week, and yep. it looks like they're going to get that stadium in 2025. And it looks like Souths are going to move back to their spiritual home with the new SFS. Not a bad idea. I think South should move there. You say that, but that, I think I read somewhere that more than 60% of South's fans are now based in the western suburbs. Probably. So, I, I mean, the traditional heartland's not necessarily there anymore. So, and if they are, they've probably gotten a lot older So and dispersed throughout Sydney. So, But, it, you know, in a way, that's their district and it's probably easier to get to the city sometimes than it is to get to Homebush anyway. Great. Okay, more hard-hitting analysis. Did you follow any of the news this week? I sound like I have, don't I? No, you don't, you don't, you don't sound like you followed anything. You know, Nathan Cleary played last week with um, Stitches. You know, to cover up cover up his... His incredible acne? Yeah, his allergic reaction that he had at, or, uh, just before State of Origin. He does have quite a bit of acne, yep. chronic acne yes. for someone who's 23. Okay, so my favourite news story of the week is David Fafita getting a $20,000 fine. If you will recall in the off-season, he wanted to visit his mate after a big night on the tiles and he accidentally broke into the wrong house in a drunken stupor and waited for them on the couch. <laughs> when the person got home. The fact that he sat there without realising the TV and the, the couch was different and the TV was in the wrong spot. How drunk do you have to be? How yeah. drunk he was, right? And he's not a small man because no. you can imagine how much he's drunk. He's broken into this house. He's sitting on the couch. These people get home. David Fafita's on our couch. They naturally call the police. Now... Before the Titans reported it to the integrity unit, what they did was they tried to solve it. This is the best the couple, story ever, the, yeah. The, the, the house that yes, he broke into. Yes. And the way they solved it was by paying for a $10,000 security system to be installed in the house that he broke into. Of course, the press got hold of this and then it went to the integrity unit. And after a story like this and the way the NRL moves with speed unless the emperor gives his decree... It took seven months to do an investigation really? into this. That, this was in What December. did they ask him? Were you, did, was the couch leather? They gave him a $20,000 fine, $20,000 fine, and he had to also pay for the security system. What, what is going on? I don't, even know what, I don't even know what to say to that. What club, what club goes, the way to solve this is not to stop the behaviour but let's install a security system in your house in case it happens do, again. Do you know what is also fantastic about this? Is, God, what kind of a security system did they install for $10,000? Like, 
Look, these days she can get multiple but cameras. But the NRL said they're bucks. fine. He goes, it's $20,000. Plus David Fafita, you're going to have to pay for the security yeah. system out of your own pocket. Yes. It, it would count under the salary cap. You should have, should have spoken to Mick Polides. Michael Polides. He, he was, he's willing to give a character reference for Victor Radley. Of course. Get over that story. I mean, how does it That's, take you seven yeah. months to investigate? How did you climb through the window? Oh, just brilliant. Just brilliant. Was was the couch? You know, was it? Did it have a, a chase? Was it leather? I mean, how how drunk are you to realise you're in the wrong house? I don't know. That's what I'm wondering. It's like as you plonk yourself down on the couch. I could have sworn these couches were leather. <laughs> Like, hang on, they must have got a new fabric couches over the weekend. Yes, yeah. Just, just, oh, I was here last night. I love I it. And imagine couches, coming yeah. home and seeing Dave Fafita on your couch. A big unit. I would call the police too. Imagine that. Drunk David Fafita on your couch. Hopefully he was as aggressive as he was in, has been in defence, which means he was sitting there smiling. It's like he could just rub his tummy. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Jesus. All right, let's story. get on to the rugby yeah. league proper. Oh. Did you have anything else you wanted to cover before we did? Not this week, actually. That's why I thought it was a bit of a slow week. Although I just went through seven things that happened in the world of rugby league this week. No, I'm out. Not this week. Uh, for someone who describes himself as Charles, the Charles Barkley of this pod and has started to be- believe his own press about how much of a multimedia superstar you are. Of course, yeah. Charles Barkley falls asleep watching the games. <laughs> so do you. You don't even get to the start line. But you ask him to remember what happened in round two of the semifinals in 1982, and he'll be able to recite it for you. Even if I wasn't born yet. But yeah, I would. All right, let's move on to round 15. First up, it's the Broncos versus Souths. The Rabbitohs had all the possession and territory from the start and scored three tries in the first half to lead 18-0 at halftime. Actually, despite this, I thought the Broncos tried really hard in the first half. And Xavier Coates running down Dane Gagai was the best chase down since Darren Albert ran down Matt Sears years and years ago. Oh, my God, come um, And on. Corey Oates, you came out in the press, why aren't I playing? That's why. That Xavier Coates rundown was fantastic. Oh, it was great. I thought the Broncos had a real go, real go in the first half, even though Souths were up 18-0. One thing that cost them, though, and this is where Kebby's not getting enough scrutiny from the press. Does your cap have something to say? Yeah, I think she she's not happy with Kevin Walters either. And however, one thing that Kevy Walters, this is why he's not getting enough scrutiny in the press, right? He didn't make one interchange through the first half, through the forwards. Not one. Not one. So his, so his middle forwards, his pack played 40 minutes straight. And, and as a result, they completely faded in the second half as Souths ran in five tries. The centres for Souths, Campbell Graham and Dane Gagai were superb. Uh, and Cody Walker, described by Brandy as the best ball player since Cliffy Lyons, had three try assists and four line break assists. And the South's left edge has now scored 35 of their 57 tries this season. That's how dangerous they are down that side. For the Broncos, um, Matt Lodge played 76 minutes and was was good in what might be his farewell performance. But um, can I also say Carmichael Hunt, no longer no longer a first-grade player. He was really out of his depth out there. Well, it's, I mean, he's just come back to the game. He's, he's, what, 36? But unless he's there to coach the youngsters and sort of give them a little bit of mentoring and... And guidance. I mean, why is he there? It's you let you let Sam Walker go, you let Reese Walsh go, you let Tom Dearden go, and you brought back Carmichael Hunt. I don't quite get it. And Kevy with that interchange in the first half, I'm like, yeah, but he's got some big forwards. Unless he's actually trying to give them match fitness, that's a long time to be out there. Well, especially when the other team's forwards are getting rotated, especially through the middle. Yeah, I'm sorry, you might not give you, you might you might not give the edge forwards a break, but the middle forwards are always getting rotated. I mean, I don't know what to say about this game. I'm like you. I thought the Broncos. Kind of really had a dig for the first 30, 40 minutes. It was only 10-0 with 10 minutes to go. And they were hanging in. 
the chase down was great. You could just see him long, the long strides and see, see him reel him in. I can't wait to see Coates after he's gone through Melbourne's training program as well. And then just when Campbell Graham sort of stepped through them and scored just before, before half time, I think that just killed off the Broncos' Tony's 18-0. Oh, they capitulated, right? The second half, they were, they were terrible. And then they lost, you know, Cobbo and Arthurs as well. But Cody Walker is just probably one of the more memorable players I've seen in a long time. His ball playing is just unbelievable. It really is great. It's he is, and I agree with Brandy's throwback to the Cliffy Lions, old school five eighth. I mean, obviously they play at a faster pace, but you know he uses variety. He doesn't always have a spiral ball. He throws a soft ball into space. He throws a long sort of floating pass. He throws spiral balls. The flick pass to Latrell. I mean, that was magic too, right? And he always knows the right thing to do. He gives the right ball at the right time to the right player. So well, and that left edge, though, you know, Latrell and Dane Gagai and all these guys, they know they they kind of want a good wavelength with him, right? Cody Walker running around the back. It just Adam Reynolds gives him the ball. It just works. You're right. Like Adam Reynolds, you know, comes over, makes an extra number, gives him the ball, and they all run. And either any three Body's of them get the ball, yeah, just yeah. depending on what the defender's doing. And it's just. It's honestly brilliant to watch. I still can't get over the fact that Jack Whiten's ahead of him and Gutho on the bench. It is undeserving, I think. Oh yeah, I wouldn't have picked Jack White, and I don't think that, I just I just don't see it this and season. Seventeen tries to AJ this year, fifteen games. He could score over. He's an 30. old school winger, right? He knows how to finish things off. He's not a fullback. You know, he he played a couple of good games there, and everyone thought he was a fullback. Same as Wateni Zelezniak. D- did he play a couple of good games at fullback? Did he? When was that? Three years ago. Yeah, basically. And then they're like, "This guy's a fullback," and it's like, just because he played four good games there, he's not a fullback. It's good that you didn't sign him for eight hundred grand a year, though. Yeah, I didn't, but Dean Pay did. Chris Anderson probably more likely, but AJ is just just brilliant for them on that left edge as well. He hugs the touchline really well, and South mate forty six nil. Kevin Walters, you know, they pushed for his appointment, all the Broncos legends. He's not doing a good job, I haven't buddy. heard much from them now. They've gone a bit silent. I've seen Ben Eichen quite a bit on NRL 360. I actually, when I watch it, he's the only one who seems sensible at all, and his views are well thought out, and he, he's quite a good thinker, deep he thinker is. on the game. So I really, do, I really do like Ben Eichen's analysis and his thinking, and I think it's quite measured and quite good. So I think he'll be great for the Broncos. And I think if the Broncos want to turn it around, from what I've seen... You want to give as much power to people like that as opposed to the ha ah, the old boys. Gordon Tallis, oh, you need to have Kevin Walters. How did they appoint Anthony Seabold? Like, Anthony Seabold didn't do great, but everyone was basically gaslighting him because they wanted Kevin Walters instead. Well, has he done any better? Their, their, their defence is worse this year. Their defence, statistically, their defence is worse. So, was it Anthony Seabold the issue? No, probably not. No. So, they've got a lot of problems there. All right, let's move on to the Friday night games. Um, first off was the, the cliffhanger between the Cowboys and the Sharks. Um, the Cowboys started very slowly and conceded two early tries to be down 12 nil after 11 minutes. They managed to get one back through Tom Dearden, threw the dummy, got through the line. But then the hammer went off injured and J- Jake Glanville came on to spend the rest of the game at left centre because your boy, your doppelganger, had no backs on the bench. So they played a hooker at left centre for the rest of the game, and it, and it kind of bit them in the butt a little bit. The Cowboys got it back 12 at 12 all again down Cronulla's left, but just some poor errors and missed tackles resulted in Mulatalo scoring just before half time to make it 20 to 12 at half time to the Sharks. Um, the second half was generally poor, I, I thought, as a game with the Sharks extending their lead to 26-12 through a try to Will Chambers. The game did come to life in the last 10 minutes when Kyle Felt got a double down the yep. Sharks' left when Will Chambers completely lost his mind <laughs> on, on that side in he defense. Did, he, he, just, he just 
He just completely lost his mind. All the Cowboys' tries in this game were down the Sharks' left. Chambers, Moylan, and Mulatalo were terrible defensively. The Cowboys did have a chance to win it when on the attack, but Reese Robson... I, I mean, they had the ball. It was in the red zone. It was the last tackle, and Reese Robson ran from dummy half instead of getting the ball and trying to get a kick in or try and score a try then binned in the ensuing set after he gave the ball away. Uh, just the intelligence factor there. It's just not great game gamesmanship, really. Um, that's the stuff Cam Smith always nailed. And Val Holmes missed a two-point field goal at the death. I thought Tom Dearden was much better for the Cowboys. And um, old boys Woods and SJ were the Sharks' best in this game. I've done tipping the Cowboys. I've got no idea what they're going to do, or the Sharks for that matter. But I thought Cronulla started off fairly well. I, I, don't, know, I don't know whether I said this, but the Cowboys got up 26-24. Cronulla won 26-24. Oh, sorry, Cronulla won 26-24, yeah. The Sharks started off pretty well. I thought Sean Johnson was in command of the game for a little while. I loved his grubber to Connor Tracy, who's... They're balanced out now, the Sharks. Chambers was terrible in defence, but with Mulatalo back there, it's balanced their team out. Well, he got picked for origin. Mulatalo got picked for origin. He deserves to. I think he's a good winger. really is. He's a good winger. He's He's very aggressive, which I like. Quite skillful. And Will Chambers, a good player. Will Chambers, good player, but God, he doesn't, when he's rushing out now, he, he leaves holes because the rest of his team isn't on the same wavelength like they were in Milwaukee. Oh, he's d- defensively, he's not great. They can't cover his um his aggressiveness sometimes in defence, so I thought it was relatively even after that try once Dearden scored, and then once Mulatalo scored and Kennedy, Kennedy did the little in and away. Yeah, in and away was beautiful. He got a lot more involved. And when Chambers went over towards the end for 26-12, again on the back of Kennedy's involvement, I thought that's it. I thought they were done, the Cowboys. And then they got a try to Felt, another one of those go-go gadgets. Did he actually hit the line? I'm not sure he actually made the line. They gave the try. He did. And I think the Sharks were very lucky because Sean Johnson's goal kicking from the sideline both times, two great kicks that gave gave him that 14-point buffer, right? It did, yeah, yeah. That's right. And Valentine Holmes, how about the kick? The kick and chase from half. How good was that? He's he's really back to some form. Yeah, and I thought that was really clever and caught everyone out. And then he nearly stepped the whole team. And of course, the superstar that is Aiden Tolman, the prop, was covering him and tackled him before he scored under the post. So apparently, the Bulldogs are going to recruit him back as a fullback. Why not? But that's the type of stuff you know that he does every week. That and then you know what? Which try I thought was fantastic. Kyle felt right at the end. When yeah, he... it's like that stuff you do at the park when you're playing with your mates. Where yeah, you like yeah, throw a yeah, dummy yeah, and yeah, just yeah, lean yeah. over and score. And it worked. Yeah, correct. It was great. Um, I felt a bit sorry for Will Chambers. He is meant to have a winger on his outside. Well, <laughs> well the winger wasn't there. I tell you that. <laughs> Will Chambers is a centre. Yeah. So there should be someone outside him. It was a cheeky play, and and you know what? That 14-point lead really came in handy, didn't it? And Val Holmes, that field goal. Well, he kicked one a few weeks ago, and it's still going. And, and that one at the end, he just didn't get any legs behind it. But he shanked it totally. I thought he was going to kick that he had time, but really, I don't think the Cowboys really deserve to win that game or even draw it. I think the Sharks were better for nearly pretty much the whole game. I thought 60 minutes, the Sharks were the better team. It was a close game, but it wasn't a great game. No. Last 10 minutes were interesting, but yeah. Anyway, the game of the round on Friday night was the Panthers versus the Roosters. I was really looking forward to this game. The Panthers got up 38-12. All the games in Sydney were played, in and around Sydney, were played in atrocious conditions. Yes. Rain, wind, and, and the wind actually played havoc during this, during a few of these games. Yep. This game was no different. Kicked off in atrocious conditions, and the Panthers got off to a horror start when Dylan Edwards dropped the ball from the kickoff. 
and the Roosters forwards dominated, scoring two tries to lead 12-0 after 15 minutes. Jared Warrior-Hargraves had 104 run metres in the first 20, me- 20 minutes. That's how much they dominated. Joey Manu then dropped the ball from kickoff and Stephen Crichton scored to make it 12-6. Taki Iho then got binned for a high shot on Nathan Cleary and Brian Toto scored off the next set to make it 12-all. And and really, the whole game changed off that Taki Pretty Iho much. sin binning. Yeah, that's right. Um, after a Cleary penalty and Lachlan Lamb... Lachlan Lamb was terrible in this game. In defence, Absolutely yeah. terrible. No, even in attack, I thought he was terrible. I really thought he was terrible. His kicking was terrible. His defence was terrible. Just, he, he got found out in this game. He, he had a few few brain explosions there. He failed to find touch, and the Panthers scored a brilliant try to To'o, and the Panthers scored 14 points against the 12-man Roosters team to, to go up to 20-12. to 12. Um, The Panthers really targeted the space behind... Suwali and Ikavalu. They kept kicking in behind there or bombing to that corner. And, and and the Roosters had one set in the last 25 minutes of the first half. So you know how we were saying in the pregame? The momentum's... It's impossible to get the bloody ball back now. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that, that game literally was two halves in one half. That's right. And so it was 22-12 to the Panthers at halftime, right? Panthers went on with it in the second half, stretching the lead to 38-12 in the 65th minute. After the sin bin, the Panthers completely dominated field position and possession. Uh, I thought Lachlan Lamb, as I mentioned earlier, was poor, and Ikevalu was also very poor. Um, Nathan Cleary and Angus Crichton were the, respectively the best for their teams. I thought... Isaiah Yo, Brian Tyre, and Liam Martin were also great for the Panthers and JWH. He's, he's, his last three or four games, he's been back to the form prop in the comp. Same as you, I was looking forward to the game. The conditions weren't very good, but I thought the Roosters started off on fire. They were dominating the game. I know you say it's hard to get the ball back, but they literally were really taking it to the Panthers for a little bit. I mean, after seven minutes, if Josh Morris lands that ball in front of Tupu, they're ahead 10 or 12 nil after seven minutes. I think they rattled the Panthers a little bit. I think not scoring there gave the Panthers a little bit more time to get into the game, even though they weren't getting the ball. I don't think that was it at all. I th- yeah, well, as soon as they were up 12-0, they kicked off. Joey Manu dropped the ball. They went in 12-6. The, next, the very next set, Takiyo got binned, and the game changed. They, they were never back in the game. Once he dropped the ball, they, they hit the accelerator, and they took advantage of every possible opportunity they had. And the Roosters got blown away. I mean, it went from 25 minutes, the score went from 12-0 to 34-12. That's how quick they, they, they took over the game. Well, they didn't get the ball back. And they were clinical. Kicks, bombs, dummies, offloads. Uh, like, they hit them from all angles. Defence just couldn't cope. You know, some of the highlights were, you know, Cleary dummying, left, right, running. Early kick to Crichton, I think, was great because it get, makes the defence It was think. great. It was it great. It makes them hesitate, and they scored that very easily. I, I think that's a tactic Queensland should employ. You've got to keep the game tight. they got to kick early and kick deep and just try and win the territory battle. You know, Matt Burton, again, looked fantastic in the centres. But Joseph Suwali, one of the highlights was that leap for that bomb. He, he looked like a seasoned a AFL player, player. A basketball player. Like, he has an incredible vertical leap and he's six foot five. So he's a he can be a real weapon in future that way as well. Although he's got he's got the turning he's got the turning circle of a truck. I did mention watch his agility, right? It, it's hard because he's so athletic for his size too. That's the thing and he's strong. But you get isolated out there like you say now in the centers in defence and at the wing. So But his tackling's good. 
his tackling's good. It's it's the turning circle. It's getting if you kick in behind him, it's that turning around and getting back. In the NFL, they talk about movement through the hips, and you know some of the defensive backs have got to be able to turn. Isn't that what gets you into a lot of trouble? Movement through the hips. When you do that on the train on the way into work. A lot of people get uncomfortable in the It's hard, yeah, because what happens is you're carrying your bag and it kind of hits them in the head and people don't really like that, you know. So you've got to move through the hips so you can actually, you know, traverse through the packed carriage. Is that what you tell them? You go, I don't want my bag to hit you, so I'm moving my hips? Yes, that's right. And how do people react to that? They appreciate that because other people just smack them in the head on the train. Yeah, that's right. Do they? They like the G-hip movement. That's right. Is it like a dab? Does this thing have a name? No, it doesn't. It's not a dab. It's called... It's called manners on the train. It's called the G. <laughs> Once Penrith got the ball, they blew them away and it further solidifies the point that there's really two teams. And unless they get injured, the rest of the teams just cannot compete with them. But great win to the Panthers and just, you know, no one else is going to catch them or Melbourne because they're both better than they were last year, which is scary. I, I think I think we could, unless they get injuries, I think let's let the grand final's going to be the yeah, same. Yeah, can you yeah. believe it? Like Charlie Staines has made them better and so has Matt Burden in the centres. So, and none of the teams are better than they were last year. So Actually, if they hadn't played Brent Naden, if they hadn't had that cocaine issue just before the grand final and they'd played Matt Burton in the centres... They might have won that game. They might have won the game. They, they got close. They got It got down to the last set with 11. Yeah. Move on to Super Saturday. First up was Newcastle versus the Warriors up at McDonald Jones Stadium. Um, this was horrific conditions up in Newcastle. I will be replaying this game tonight um, just so I can get a good night's sleep. Poor conditions. I mean, terrible conditions. The Warriors, despite having the wind behind them in the first half, their two best chances came long distance. Did show how how much of a difference Mitchell Pearce makes. Yes, big um, difference. He kept the Knights in decent field position in those conditions. Yeah. We say this week after week. We assess their speed. We assess their lateral movement. We assess their size. Their defensive. The te- I do a lot on the technical side and the defensive. Re- but the difference is how smart some of these players are. And it was between. It's why Cam Smith is an immortal. It's between the ears. Look, Mitch Pearce is a great club halfback. They actually had good field position into a gale force win. Um, Reese Walsh got run down by by Braley. Absolutely, I thought he'd score. And then you and Aitken. Yeah, I know. Where did he got get run that down by from? Dom Young, who then gave the worst attempted yeah. tackle. He almost got there too quickly. Hey, mate, he's playing for the Jamaican rugby league team. Apparently, Dom Young. He's so. he's, he's uh, cool runnings. Dom Young. He's got some pace and only a young kid, only a teenager, nineteen, but. He ran him down. He got there too quick. And he he got him. there too quick. He missed him. He, after all that, he missed him. So you and Aitken scored. And then Fitzgibbon scored just before halftime, uh, before being Sinbin for a high shot. And at halftime, uh, the Warriors led 6-4. In the second half, Clifford and Pierce launched an aerial raid on Reese Walsh. And given he's going to play Origin this week... Um, That's because there's no one left. I expect that he's going to cop a few bombs this week as well. An established field position for much of the half. Reese Walsh did have the chance to win it, but shanked the field goal yes, from right in front. Yes, he did, yeah. He had time. He should have kicked that one. He should have kicked it over. And from the ensuing set, they had seven tackles. Mitch Pearce set up Tuala for a break. That resulted in Jones scoring to give the Knights the win. Um, Mitch Pearce and Daniel Saifidi were great. And Tohu Harris got through a mountain of work for the Warriors. Not a great game, but but both teams were desperate to win this one, and the Knights especially needed that one. I think the defence and the effort was there. The effort was there from both teams, I thought. Both teams. Really bad conditions to play footy in, and the fact that they kept tight wasn't necessarily because they kept dropping the ball, I thought. You know, they were a little bit conservative, both teams in attack, but also solid defensively. Um, Reese Walsh nearly scored that try. That was magic. Jumped up, spin move, footwork. 
then the, the acceleration. I love that he always attacks. Um, next year, I would like to see him. The one area he's got to work on is his top end speed. So, or his speed endurance, because you. There's many times where he just runs past everybody, and after about 50, 60 metres, he does run out of... Um, but, gee, a lot of the players are like that. They're, they're, they're like the NFL players. Their speeds are over 40 yards. Over 40, yards. 50 yards, yeah. Yeah, it's not... It's not. Which is, what, 30 metres or 40 metres? Because other than Jason Saab, they're not 100-metre sprinters They're anymore. not, but I think it's something that you can work on and improve, and he he's something he can add to his game that'll make him even more dangerous. Because once he gets in the clear, if he can run, run away and get breakaway speed, he'd be an absolute weapon. He already is at the moment oh, he's only played six first yeah, grade games yeah he's fantastic when you first break in the defences don't have time to, time to plan for you because they don't know you that is true yes he's one he he strikes me Reese Walsh strikes me as he could have second year syndrome he's, he's small G and there was enough there on the weekend that I thought you know yes it was windy but they bombed the hell out of him Clifford and Pierce. They, they might target his weaknesses a lot more but in attack I think yeah. he'll still be great but they, they, they'll suss out what he's weak at next year. They'll have a bit more time to study him. But tight game, I thought Pierce played pretty well. The forwards on both sides were actually had a, did a decent job. Tight game, you know, at the end, Tawala came in off from the centres and Pierce put him through with a great ball and that gave him the field position to spin and the ball And then he set wide. up the try, right? Mitchell Pierce was, was, made a difference, made a big difference. And when Kalen Ponga comes back, you know, they're going to be a completely different they team. They will be. They've, they've had a lot of injuries, a lot of people in and out, like we'll say every week. Um, their back line hasn't had time to settle at all. They've had all their injuries in the backs and the halves. It, it's hard to get any continuity, and that's where they've really struggled to score points most of the year. So close game, um, good win for the Knights. They needed that. Puts them slightly back into the frame of the eight. All right. Now, moving on to the second game on Super Saturday. Um, what I will say up front is if you've seen one Raiders game, you've seen them all. Oh, this is a repeat. Last week was an aberration. <laughs> the Raiders had the win behind them in the first half, and they actually got up 14-6 in the first half. If games were played in the first 30 minutes, the Raiders would be top of the table. <laughs> Canberra raced to a 12-0 lead via tries to Corey Harawira Naira and Sebastian Chris, and, and they were in front 12-0 at the 30-minute mark. What do you think happens at this point, G? That's right. You know what happens to the Raiders after the 30-minute mark. Burns got one back for the Dragons. Bad missed tackle by Norman and, and Hunt, respectively, on the on the two tries that yes. Canberra scored. Yep. But they made up for it in the second half. They right? did. So They came out breathing fire, so to speak. That's right. Jack, Jack Bird then hit Sebastian. This is my favourite part of the round, right? Jack Bird hit Sebastian Chris in the eye, which resulted in two points to the Raiders, but that's not the interesting bit just before halftime. And because Bird was placed on report for a poke in the eye and Sebastian Chris underwent a HIA policy, Ricky activated the 18th man and debutant Xavier Savage got his first run in first grade. Great name, by the way, Xavier Savage. Oh, great name, great name and great 12-minute debut. Uh, The only problem with Ricky activating this is um, this is actually not the rules. So you've got a whole club there. You've got a first-grade coach that's coached over 300 games, played for the Wallabies, he's played for the Kangaroos, he's played Origin, and no one knows the bloody rules. The 18th man can only be activated if a player has been sin-binned or sent off or the team fails three HIAs. And it took all of halftime and 12 minutes into the second half for the Raiders to realise that... Actually, we made an illegal substitution and introduced an 18th man onto the field. How can you not know the rules? Because the overhead projector, he was one of his plastic sheets that he forgot. Yeah, correct. Overhead projector, Stuart, just missed it all. 
but but not before Joey Tarpanay scored to extend the lead to twenty to eight with thirty to go. So they actually scored while Xavier Savage, who sounds like a made up wrestler from the eighties, well, does he does scored, scored, scored. Macho Man Xavier Savage. Savage. Yeah. So it's lucky they actually got run down because they would have had the two points taken off them. I reckon they probably would have. Of course, in the last thirty minutes, what do the Raiders do? They fade and they conceded three tries in twenty minutes, and when. Corey Norman scored and converted. Saints took the lead with 10 to go. And it was off the back of a Hunt 40-20. So Ben Hunt and Corey Norman were actually great in the last 30 minutes for Saints. And another exa- they're another example of rocks and diamonds, though. Yes. Particularly Corey Norman. Yes. Less, so, less so Ben Hunt. They were both directly responsible for 12 of the Raiders' points, but also inspired the comeback. They don't win the game without them in the last 30 minutes. Ben Hunt had three line breaks, one try assist and a 40-20. Sloan also had a good game on debut, uh, the new David Peachy. Yes. And he actually got a try as well. So with the Raiders, with the win behind them, the Raiders, as I said, won the first half 14-6. And with their illegal substitution and into the wind, um, they actually lost the second half 6-16. So it was a... It was a eight to ten point wind for the game, and 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 unfortunately the Dragons got up, but they're in a world of hurt. Um, George Williams gave the interview, which was pretty damning on on Ricky and the team during the week as well. So, uh, what did you think of this one? Same. I thought the Raiders started off on fire. I didn't think the Dragons were really there. I thought Corey Norman mentally wasn't there. Some of his defensive reads and the way he was involved in the game were kind of really lackadaisical at the beginning. I think it was good to see Tyrell Sloan, read about his story during the week. Pretty hard upbringing for Tyrell Sloan to face a lot of adversity and sounds like a really good kid trying to find his way and he's still only a baby, really, 19, so... No, he's just a kid, right? Good to see him make his debut and also to have his grandma watching. She gave him his jersey in the dressing room. I don't know whether you saw that. That's that's a really, really sweet and nice gesture for him and, a, you know, a great achievement. He's got some potential. Like, you could see he's got the skills there. You know, I like the chip that they scored off. Like, it was very opportunistic. They got a bit of luck with that. But the, the fact that he got the ball and chipped it over the defence straight away showed he's got some guts to try things, which is great. I thought the Raiders were going to run away with it. But then I thought, let's, so ju- let's I, just... So See what they do in the second half. But it is the Raiders. It is. The Dragons contained Simonson fairly well this week, so he didn't have as much of an impact, I thought, for the Raiders. Do you reckon the Dragons um, contained him, or do you reckon it was just... Because there was some of his passes wasn't... He just wasn't on... He wasn't on this game. Yeah, I think he... A bit of both. It's I don't one of those think, games, yeah. games where he was a little bit off. He, yeah. he didn't have the space, and I think he struggled. He probably forced the issue a few times. So I thought they blunted the, dra- the Raiders' attack for a little little bit. And then when Tarpanay scored to put him up 20-8, to I thought, that's it. You know, they've actually come out. They've scored a try. Or well, who knows whether at that point Ricky would have bought on a 19th and 20th. He might now. have, just to cover the gaps in the defence. But Correct. Mal- Look, here comes Mal <laughs> making his 250th appearance. Gary Coyne. Gary Coyne. I, I thought what that did for the Dragons is actually just give them a little bit of a who gives a shit and they started imposing themselves like Hunt and and Corey Norman started playing aggressive attacking football and running at the line the whole team changed I mean Corey Norman he was laughing and you could see like they were playing with a little bit of joy and freedom towards the end of the game which is you wonder why that didn't happen earlier well he's going to be great in Super League next year Corey Norman probably will suit his game a little bit more to be honest and I think once the Dragons sort of came up with a little bit more joy and a little bit more enthusiasm in the game the Raiders couldn't cope and off the back of Hunt's 40-20 which was a huge play to score the winning try 20 huge play game changer yeah they got very lucky at the end though Semi Valame, that was a penalty. He was tackled, and then they shoved his head over the, the sideline. That should have been a penalty to the Raiders, and have the opportunity to draw or win the game at the end. So, what what makes you think well, he was his tackled? whole body stopped? He was tackled. He had someone 
his hands all over him, stopped his momentum, he was tackled. It was a flop and then a push out. Yeah, but I mean, it's continuous motion, isn't it? The motion stopped. That's what I mean. I thought they were very lucky. Probably right. In the in the first half, if it's in the first half, it's a penalty. Yes, I agree. I think it's a bit like, oh shit, maybe we shouldn't call it at that point in time. Yeah, we swallowed the whistle. Yeah, correct. We don't want to be the ones who decide But I game. mean, really, the Raiders, 20-8 to against a, at that time, unenthusiastic Dragons team, should be able to beat them, mate. So, but... The second half woes continue, hey? There's something horrifically wrong. It's week after week. It's mental now. It's week after week. Like, it's been the last nine weeks, bar one week, where they've had second half fade-outs. be interested to see if we see Matt Dufty back in the Dragons team um, for the rest of the year. Well, I don't know. The rumour is he's going to go to the Raiders. But if I had a choice between Chance Nickel Klockstad and Matt Dufty, I, I think I'd rather Chance Nickel Klockstad. I think Matt Dufty needs to go to a particular team he needs to go to a melbourne or a team like that where you've got these technical coaches that can really help you improve your game but then utilize your strengths so i don't think ricky stewart is that person but he can recruit the hell out of players he's, he's a great recruiter i just wonder if chance nickel clockstad's injury is not more serious the fact that they're looking at other fullbacks you, now that you mentioned that i think you might be onto something because they've kind of mentioned i was going to have surgery on his neck but they're looking at fullbacks when he, in theory, has been their number one fullback for a long time. First name on the team sheet. And he's he's good. He's a good, full, great fullback, yeah? Uh, you know what? It might be a lot more serious than we think. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. I like him. I think he's a great player. So um, let's move on to two of the last three games. Actually, all three of the last three games are brilliant for differing reasons. Let's move on to the last game of Super Saturday, which was the Storm versus the Tigers. And if you haven't caught up on this one, the Storm got up 66-16. to 16. I don't have a lot to say about this game. This was an absolutely disgraceful performance by the Tigers as the Storm ran in seven tries in the first half, including five in the opening 15 minutes. The Storm led 30-0 after 17 minutes, and by that point, the Tigers had only had the ball for 20 seconds. It was 40-0 at halftime. And the Storm ran in another four tries in the opening 10 minutes of the second half. And it was 60-0 after 50 minutes. Sure, the Tigers got three tries back in the end of the game. But the Storm had 10 separate try scorers. And Nico Hines had a personal tally of 22 points. But the Storm really put the cue in the rack for the last 30 minutes as well. Jerome Hughes, again, was superb. I actually think he's the second best halfback in the comp after Nathan Cleary. I think that's how well he's playing. And, he, and he's just because he's in Melbourne and out of sight, out of mind, he's not getting the accolades he deserves. But there is, I, I don't propose we break down every single try and everything that happened in it's this no game point. because the Tigers were not, a, they weren't trying. It wasn't a first grade performance for the first 50 minutes. They only scored one try in the last half hour. Like, if they had kept going, they could have put on 100. I think so. I absolutely think so. They. Watching that game, uh, this is one game that I watched on Sunday. <laughs> they started off with a quick try. They just this marched the down the field, watched. scored a try. And then the second try where Nico Hines got the ball and Justin Olam, Moses and Bai had four attempts at a tackle. And you can't tell me that he was really, really busting his gut to make any of them. They weren't trying. That try was indicative of their effort. Like Moses and Bai, I've seen him play with heart. He basically made three ridiculous attempts at tackle, if not four. Didn't get anywhere near anybody. Noel Faluma just ran out and left the winger wide open. And it's, that's not coaching. That was the players not trying. I mean, I don't blame Madge for not saying anything at halftime and letting the players try and sort it out. It was disgraceful. Poor Tigers supporters. 
you know, when they dropped the ball, and I, now I can't even remember who scored now. And the Storm player just picked it up and just went straight over. They were all standing around watching. Oh, that's right. It was on the on the Tigers' left edge. They were all, yeah, they were all just standing around. Yeah, they, they literally stood around and watched each other while the Storm player just picked up the ball. No one was near him. No one even tried to get near him. They started looking at each other. You could see there was a little bit of... The team wasn't unified. I think they were a little bit ticked off with each other. As well. James Tarmow alluded to that. Yeah, he did. He said after the game, we've got some issues we need to sort out. Some of the... Canberra's got stuff going on. Tigers have got stuff going on. The Titans <laughs> will get to that game. But the Titans... Like, there's some stuff going on at these clubs, right? I mean, that Newcastle, Dragons... Behind the scenes, there's a, there's a few clubs that have absolutely lost the plot. It was a disgraceful effort. It was 60-0 after... 50 minutes and the storm kept on going it would have been 80 or 90 they literally well they stopped they stopped it could have been 100 that's how bad it was they invoked their own mercy rule on the tigers and then sort of started going through the motions you know jerome hughes both of his tries he just taps it and then just runs through five guys 40 meters no one even trying to even tackle him and his try the last try for melbourne he got the ball and stepped past seven people as a small halfback shrugging off defenders in the middle of the field when no one else was running the ball. I mean, my question for you is, do you torch the list? I don't know. This is It's gotten to the point where cull a lot of players and start rebuilding, or there has to be some kind of circuit, circuit breaker with the coach or something that needs to happen, or you have to get rid of Magic Maguire. My, my issue with the coach is you, 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 replace, you replace the coach. The problems don't go away. I don't think opinion. so, but... I'm not, I'm not saying he's the right coach. That's not what I'm saying. That playing roster's a problem. Like, who would you rather be at the moment? Would you rather be the Tigers or the Bulldogs? I, I think I'd rather be the Bulldogs. I wouldn't want to be the Tigers because I don't know what's going on with them, to be honest, at all. They look like, they look like they're... At least the Bulldogs look like they're heading somewhere. But disgraceful. And I think there was probably a couple of players in the Tigers that were trying, and the rest just gave up. And as a team, it was multiple players that just didn't give a shit. And the Storm tries weren't anything magical. This is the other thing. Well, it was just effort. It was just poor effort from the Tigers, right? They didn't even make it hard ben for Iger, them. Poor guy was trying to keep that positive. He's like, oh, look, they're playing eyes up footy. You know, they're playing to the space. Yeah, Ben, the space was everywhere. They were just passing the ball around and going through wherever they wanted to go. I'm like, what? I mean, the Tigers would have done better. Oh. If the Emperor just say they, they should play with 11 as an experiment. I mean, yeah, he was trying to be positive. The rules don't help. I think this whole six again, that, like I, he's just over-tampered with the rules this year. He really, really has. He hasn't implemented it in a way with consultation, with a proper analysis. The footy has not been good this year. This is the worst season in a long, long time. Even State of Origin 1 was a 44-point drubbing. But I actually think next year might be a bit different. Well, I hope you're right. I think a lot of these teams are not physically up to playing the style of football that's, that you need to play in the way the rules are now. They're overweight, they're not fit, and the teams that are fit and everyone is in supreme physical condition, generally speaking, are Penrith and Melbourne. And say the Roosters. And Para's not too bad for the most part, and they're the teams that are generally at the top. Is it that, or is it just that they're a little bit younger? It could be age. But I also think, you look at their players, they're all lean, they're athletic, they they can keep up the speed, they're fit. Um, and I don't think some of these other teams can. Maybe. And the game's sped up, like you say. I hope you're right, but the but the footy footy's not been good this year. That's probably the first game I've ever watched. Well, it's certainly the first game you watched on the weekend. Well, Para's record-breaking 2001 team... They scored 68, I think, once or twice. They did, on, on the Sharks, they, they, put, they put, 
they really put the tor- the cleaners through the Sharks one, one game that year. But I think they got 40 points. Was it 11 times that season or something like, something like that? Them. Melbourne's yeah. already got like 10, and that game, 9 or 10. Like you say, if Melbourne didn't take their foot off the pedal, I think they would have been the Tigers 80 to 90 nil. Yeah. 80 to 90 nil. And I mean, really, I mean, far out. That's The Tigers players have to really take a look at themselves. It's okay to lose. Not not like that. You've got to try. I mean, that's right. Okay. Let's less said about that game, the better. They'll be motivated. They've got to buy now because of origin. They'll be motivated for the week after. So we move on to the match of the round. The early kickoff on the Sunday. And that's that time of the week, ladies and gentlemen, where you get a comfy spot Please. on the day for feeder couch. This is the day for feeder couch. You rub his tummy. The day for feeder couch. And what you settled in for is Bulldogs Hour. This week, G's team and my team went up against each other at Bankwest Stadium. G did not watch this game, so I'll do the analysis on this one. He was installing new lighting in Belmore Car Park. The Eels got up 36-10. to 10. Actually, you had a, I, I thought you had a real go. I thought the Dogs had a real go. Parramatta dominated field position from the start and got a try through Ryan Madison, but they were guilty of disrespecting their opponents in the first half. They were going wide before going forward. And as a result, they dropped the ball seven times in the first half, like seven errors. All of this eventually told with Dylan Napa scoring his first try in 44 games off a kick. And then with five minutes to go in the first half, Nia Corey got binned. And after three back-to-back sets on our line, Katoa outflanked Hayes Dunster again to send the dogs into halftime, leading 10 points to six. And it was the first time that the dogs had led Parramatta since, at halftime since 2016. Wow. Yeah, that's how, that's how long it's been for the long-suffering Bulldog supporters. I mean, what I will say is despite you going in 10-6 at halftime, the Bulldogs played absolutely no risk football. They held onto the ball and, and then just kicked on the last, right? So, so which suited the conditions, so it suited them. But they absolutely was no risk football. Um, I described it to one of our Bulldogs friends, which you, you and I both know, as ingenious tactics by Trent Barrett do fuck all for five set five tackles and then kick the ball. One minute after Nia Kore came back, this summarised the second half for the Bulldogs. Jake Avarillo passed the ball into Dylan Napa's head. He was Napa's being lazy head. and not and taking the a break. last tackle. Well, well, yes, he was. And there's two things I'll say. Ja- Dylan Napa's head is massive. So it's a big ta- it's a big target. It's like pass the ball on the free Yeah, but that's show. like that- the four-point circle, not the... Not the bullseye. Correct, correct. But the other thing is... He didn't see him. How did Jake Rillo, why did you pass the ball? He's, his head is the size the of a bus. The only thing I want to say is it must have been a no-look pass because... <laughs> like, oh my God, how do you... No, no. You know what? Like you say, how do you miss him? He was blocking out the sun for poor, poor Jake Brandon Wakeham's probably hiding behind his head. He couldn't even see him, so... I mean, if he was trying to get hold of Wakeham, he wouldn't have been able to see him behind Dylan So I don't Napa. know what was going on there. Just a brain explosion. But then they stood around watching, looking at the ball. Like, dive on it. Mitch Moses then kicked it through. And then Brandon Wakeham. Oh, great tackle. Great tackle. I mean, he didn't show a lot of subtlety. He needed to make it look. He no, basically tackled him. <laughs> he basically tackled him. And then I just thought it was the easiest penalty try Mitchell decision Moses this year. Mitchell Moses was like year. 10 metres ago. It's miles ahead of everybody. Really? Really? I mean, this is the easiest. And the Eels were up 12-10. And a few minutes later, Nathan Brown gave a peach of the ball to Sean Lane, who then sold some candy, Brett Kenny style, to Nick Meany to make it 18-10. It was like like Kenny in the 82 grand final against Newtown. 
RCG eventually went over whilst Luke Thompson was in the bin for a high shot on Dylan Brown to make it 24-10 with 15 to go. And when Sean Russell got a debut try, the score ballooned out to 30-10 with 7 to go. And then he got another one before the end. Um, it was 24-0 in the first 33 minutes of the second half. Para had 18 out of 20 completion, 75% possession, percent possession, and 82% territory. You didn't have the ball in the second half. This is what I'm saying. The moment, it's hard to get it back. Mitch Moses, Isaiah Papali, and, and Nathan Brown were Para's best. And I, and I actually think Jeremy Marshall King's actually playing really well at hooker for the Dogs. What, what did you think of this one, G? I mean, you know, they just tried to keep it tight, conservative, risk-free football. I'd like to say that that would be due to the conditions, but they pretty much played like that the whole year. So that's Trent Barrett's coaching style. And I wonder, you know, mentally, if that's... For someone who's so bright in the way he reads the game, if you remember when he first came out, he was a bit of a cavalier, sort of play what you see, amazingly instinctual, skillful 5'8 for the Steelers. And he always got criticised about becoming more of a game manager and managing the game, etc. I don't I don't remember Trent Barrett the same I, way Well, you, you watch a first year or two at Illawarra, and that's what he was like. He was incredible. That is not absolutely, in my opinion, absolutely not the way Trent Barrett played. And, and this is the thing. He morphed into this more of a very conservative... But he morphed into a quick... Yes. Because we had the Dragons, remember, then Mundine was the one that provided the magic and he had to game manage. So Correct. I wonder if he coaches his teams the same way because that's the way he learned to play. That's the way I'm thinking. Is it that or is it just that he doesn't have the cattle to play that way? This has given me a good opportunity and this is a lot of coaches in the NRL. I read an article about Roberto De Zervi, who is the coach yes. of Sassuolo, yes. or was the coach of Sassuolo in yes. Italy. And... There was an interesting comment from him. I believe it's Sassuolo. Basically, tiny, tiny club. You know, he's not perfect, but he's got a very attacking philosophy, irrespective of players. He does. So players that have been let go by some of the bigger teams, he's morphed and changed and played this attacking form of football. Now, he got asked, why don't you have a better balance between attack and defence? And he said, why can't my equilibrium be that we take, say, 20 shots and... On the other end, you're going to give up five or six. I'm okay with that. So his balance, the way he looks at the game is, I've got to attack regardless because that's my philosophy, right? And it's okay to be attacking. And you're going to give... There is a risk involved. That's just how it is when you play with that mentality. Whereas he was getting asked why he isn't more conservative and trying to minimize the risk in terms of his tactics. And I think... Barrett and Hasler, for that matter, coach that way, where they minimise, they play the percentages. And this feeds into Barrett's comments after the game, after Parra just flogged them about he's going to have a word to the NRL now about the six agains. Like, that is what cost you the game. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I and I've gone a on a tangent, choice. but not really, because if he really thinks that that's what cost them the game... Oh, no, you have. If it's, it's his philosophy is to minimise risk. So everything has to go right for you to sneak a win or to keep the game close. So I thought they didn't offer anything, and it was only a matter of time before Para got over the top of them. In the second half, once Para settled, I think they took control, you know, and they gave Mitchell Moses a penalty try. Once they got ahead, Parramatta just ran away with it. And I thought you started to see Gutherson come into the game even more. So the space sort of opened up, and they had a couple of head knocks here and there, Hopawadi on the wing, and, you know, he just tore them apart. The Sean Lane try, what was great is Sean Lane came flying from deep and gave Brown that option to give him that ball. So I thought Para were okay once they settled and sort of got stuck in a little bit more and the dogs tried hard 
but I thought they tried to. I thought they tried. I think to. the effort wasn't too bad. But they covered the line in the end. You can't win these games, T, unless you give the defense something to think about. Conservative one-out runs and a bomb or a kick. Not going to win you the game. But look, better signs. As I sit here right now, I would rather be the Bulldogs than the Tigers or the Broncos. I thought the effort was there. They just, I think Barrett should just throw a little bit of caution to the wind. Sean Russell looked all right on the wing, so he got a bit of a backup there. Good debut for the for the young kid. Scored a couple of tries, which was great. I thought Hayes Dunster wasn't great. Um, Wonga Blake again. I mean, I know the dogs didn't throw much at him, but rocks and diamonds. He dropped a, he dropped a bit of pill in the first half. Bad play of the balls. Those type of things. It's, it might work out. You know why? Because the for right-handers, it's harder to throw left to right than it is to throw right to left. So you get less down your side when you're on the left centre. So that's why he's hiding him. He's basically hiding him in defence. I mean, we'll talk about it all the time, but geez, Gutherson, man. What a player. What a player. What a player. If he had top-end speed, he would be... I mean, he's close enough, but I think if he was like a burner like Tom Trebojevic, you'd probably be talking... We're going to speak about your love child in a minute. The two best players in the comp, basically. That's how good Gutherson is. Well, I mean, he's, in, in, in my view, Clint Gutherson's in the top five or six players in the comp. So, Tom, he's as probably it is the now, slowest. Tommy of Turbo, Nathan Cleary, yeah, Teddy, I think he's so. still there. Some of his stuff this year has been brilliant. Latrell on his day? You probably could argue Cody Walker as a playmaker. No, well, I'd have Gutho ahead of Cody Walker. D- defensively, he may be the best fullback. I think defensively he is. He's, he's fantastic in defence. His tackle on Jake Avarillo, by the way, brilliant tackle. Just stopped him dead in his tracks and wrong-footed. All right, so we move on to the most topsy-turvy game of the week, the game on Channel 9, uh, the Titans versus Manly. I don't know what the, to say. I can't believe I'm saying this. Uh, Manly, 56-24 to 24 over the Titans. Um, Justin Holbrook before this game said this is a must-win game for the Titans and the Titans responded with five first-half tries and only poor Jamal Fogarty goal-kicking kept Manly in the game. It was 24-8 at halftime and it should have been 30-8 if Jamal Fogarty had his kicking boots on. In the first half, the Titans completed 24 out of 24 sets and had 34 tackles in the opposition 20 versus 3 to Manly. Manly also missed 20 tackles and made five, five errors in the first half. Tommy Turbo did get a first-half double, but the Titans dominated, and Fafita and Tino were good, and Peachy and Jaden Campbell capitalised for the Titans. And at this point, you're thinking, game over. You're thinking, and, and we were right, it was game over, except it was game over the other way because... <laughs> the Titans, honestly. It's <laughs> the Titans. They're the Titans. It wouldn't be the Titans without a meltdown, and so it proved early in the second half when Saab and Garrick both scored in the first five minutes... And at this point, the game should have been tight, except Ruben Garrick had kicked none from four at this point, so it was only 24-16. When Cherry Evans set up Saab for his second and Garrick kicked his first goal for the afternoon, the score got back to 24-22, 14 minutes into the second half. (laughs) Just, they caught them in 14 minutes. On the very next set, Tommy Turbo set up Garrick for his second, and at this point, the Titans had conceded four tries in 16 minutes. Manly were up 26-24. Then from the kickoff... Taniela Paseka, the front rower, broke the line and the front rower ran 70 metres untouched and grubbed for Dylan Walker. And it ultimately resulted in Rupert Garrick getting another try. At this point, they've conceded five tries in 18 minutes. Manly were up 32-24. The next set, Tommy Turbo scored to make it 38-24 and six tries in 21 minutes. And then Ruben Garrick got his fourth and the Titans' second half collapse was complete. It was 44-24 at this point. The Titans missed 27 tackles in 25 minutes in the second half. 
And Tommy Turbo and Garrick, Ruben Garrick had great games. Tommy Turbo, what a player at the moment. They ran in nine tries in 34 minutes. It was a 48 yeah. nil in the second half. Yeah, it was. And poor goal kicking. Worse from the Tigers. If they had kicked, if they had kicked properly, it was 54 it, points in a half. Yeah, I, I, look, I don't know what to say. If, the, if Ruben Garrick landed all the goal kicks, it was a 54 points in a half, which makes the Tigers look like the Roosters' defence. I mean, defense. look, I don't know what to say about this game. I remember you texting me I, and I just I, thought, This is an extraordinary game. Like, extraordinary game. Like, literally. <laughs> literally. What like, the fuck? I'm watching this? the game. I mean, Tommy T scored early. And I thought, you know, man, they scored a couple of tries. And Manly was up 8-4. And I thought, okay, this this might go back and forth. And then the Titans just lit them up, you know, and scored another three tries. Lit them up? Then scored another couple before half time, 24-8. And I thought, okay, you know, it looks like they might win this game. But with the Titans, like we spoke, you never know. But then to actually lose 48-0 in the second half, I mean, what do you say? I mean, I thought, I loved the first try by Saab where he, he picked up a poor pass and just great hands and just, he used Tommy Tommy's turbo and his acceleration down the wing was fantastic and that, oh, yeah. it was a great try, right? But he's a hundred meter sprinter, right? You can, he's, he's, he doesn't drop any no, he speed. Doesn't. Like the like Reese Walsh we spoke about, he got slower the longer it went. He doesn't have he that. Just he just keeps, keeps going. going. It was a great try to watch and then literally, I don't know what happened after that, but Tommy Turbo... Garrick and Dylan Walker tore the Titans apart. And Dylan Walker came on as like a tight playing lock. Yeah, he played like a Tyrone Peachy role. Honestly, he was fantastic. Look, I know it's the Titans, but I actually thought he added a lot. He added a lot of pace in the middle for Manly and ball playing. Like, it's almost like he's too fast for the forwards, but not quite fast enough for the backs. He did a Titans on the Titans with Tyrone Peachy, Ash Taylor and Jamal Fogarty. They play with three playmakers. Then you had Foran, Walker, Cherry Evans, and Trebojevic all passing the ball around, which gave them a whole different look. So, And they just, I mean, mate, 48 nil. This is the Titans 2021, isn't it? Five tries, blowing a team away, and then literally in half an hour, they let in 50 points. I mean, I don't, I don't get what's going on with these teams. I, I just don't get it. The Raiders, the Titans. I think, I've said it all year, I think the Titans are unfit. And way too big physically for their um, to last eighty minutes because they play in spurts, but they can't keep the intensity up for the whole game, and then they run out of puff and they just get blown away. Yeah, but gee, it's not always the second half. Sometimes they get hammered from the kickoff, and then they come back in the second half. It's not. I mean, in the middle, Dave Fafita was caught taking a break, trying to watch someone else make a tackle, and Manly scored right next to him. So, I mean, is he saving his energy? Because they're conserving energy. The thing is, they're conserving it in defense because they love to attack. The problem is, they're letting in too many tries to be able to outscore the other team now. They need to do something about it. And I don't think, you know what, the off-season's the time to address it. I don't think they can do it now. And you know what? Even Mo Fatawaka is a lot bigger. There was footage of Tyrone Peachy running cross-field. Skillful player, but his chest was jiggling. Well, Ty- the rumor is Tyrone Peachy's not going to get another contract with the Titans, so... He's lost some of his fitness. He's he's the one that makes a lot of their attack tick. Ash Taylor's carrying weight. Like, the whole team is way too big. Well, Ash Taylor's not going to get a million bucks either. There is a lot of players on the market that are just not going to get a gig. Honestly, Manly, you mentioned it last week. Do you know what? With Dylan Walker adding a wrinkle and maybe Schuster coming back as a ball-playing fringe back rower, I don't think I'd want to play them, to be honest. No, I said this last week. I don't think I want to play them, Manly. Manly Seagulls look good. But the other thing is soft part of the draw. It is. Remember, they played all the really hard teams up front and then they had an easy run from there. They're changing some of their tactics sometimes. 
I mean, let's wait and see. There's a difference between playing a top four team and then the rest of the comp. You're almost, you're almost right off this result. You go, Manly's a better team than the Titans. It could have been 100 points. doesn't matter. I think for Manly, I think the game that stuck in my mind was the para game. The Storm put 66 points on the Tigers and they put the queue in the rack for the last <laughs> half hour. <laughs> Mercy rule. Where the Tigers, mate? My cat is more vicious than the Tigers. Please. Far out. Your, 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 your cat is one of the most vicious cats I know. I'm just going to run her out there instead of the Tigers' defence. She'd do a better... Well, she She'd can't do a worse job. She'd scratch everything. No, Even if she no. scratches the board, it deflates. It's a 30 nil loss. It's forfeit. All right. Well, that, that brings us to the end of round 15. Um, there is only one game this week because it's State of Origin. I think this will be the last season we'll get a State of Origin on a Sunday as a standalone fixture. Yep. I don't know why we do it this way, but we do. So CNRL, we get two, two Wednesday games and one Sunday game. So uh, this week it is Queensland versus New South Wales. It's at Suncorp Stadium. New South Wales are $1.25 favourites. Queensland's $4. The line is 13.5 for Queensland. I don't think this game will be 44 points, but I do think New South Wales will win it. I think like the first game, the only chance Queensland have really got is to... I'd kick early, I'd kick deep, and I'd try and make New South Wales score length of the field tries. I prefer New South Wales with Junior Paulo there. I think he gives them more than, than Gerbo. Yeah, like they needed more, yeah. Well, and Angus Crichton. I think Angus Crichton's <laughs> oh, been one of the God. form back rollers in he the has comp been. as well. I just, he has I, just, been. I just think, if like the first game, if New South Wales get in front, if they get like 12, 14 points in front, and they get their back up, it could be a long night for Queensland again. I think New South Wales will win this by at least 30 and it won't be close. All sorts of players are capable of having a great game. And I love Reese Walsh. We've spoken to spoken about him multiple times. The first time you saw him play, you're like, this kid's got something special. Yeah, but right? you don't but love him as much as you love Tommy Turbo. No, but I mean, when you're, when you're dragging out Francis Molo... Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, from a team... Look, hey, he might have a great game. He's... All these players are capable of having a great game. But when you have to drag out Francis Molo and you've still got Kurt Capewell in the centres... Can I also say, if Harry Grant, your best attacking player, is hurt, why wouldn't you pick Ben Hunt there? Instead, you've gone for Andrew McCulloch, who hasn't played in three years? I don't know, but Andrew McCulloch will probably make a lot of tackles. Yeah, but why do you need both of them then? Because you play Ben Hunt at nine, if one of your halves get, gets hurt, you've got him there, and then you just have a... Like, I don't quite get it. I think it's a it's a waste of an interchange to have Ben Hunt there. It is. Their, their gun players are missing. There's no other position Andrew McCulloch can play. No, I agree with you. Like, well, they have no one left. I didn't even know... Fra- I mean, Francis Molo, you would have thought you'd need 100 injuries before he could come into the team. But, you know, like well, I said, he might I, play I a great game. I think a good in. Mulatalo is probably the one back where I thought, okay, he can probably play there. But they're lacking a centre, right? And I think Reese Walsh, fullback, I think... You've got to play him because there's no one else. Yeah, I get it, but he's 18 and he's played six first-grade games and his only win's been against the Tigers. Well, Kyle Felt probably shouldn't be there and um, Mulatalo should be there probably ahead of Kyle Felt. And like I say, if you're going to pick Francis Molo, pick Tuala and stick him in the centres and move Capewell into the, back, into the back row. I think New South Wales will be too fast. Well, Tuala will come into the team if they lose this. They'll, they'll blood the next generation, yeah. And Cam Munster's a bit more fit, so I think it'll be closer with Cam Munster there. I mean, he'll play smart footy, but yeah, I just I just can't see... T, half their team is the Titans. The Titans just got pasted by 48-0 in the second half. 
by Dylan Walker. Yeah, it's a physical thing too. And Paseka ran 70 metres and then grubbed for Dylan Walker. <laughs> yeah, are they magically going to all of a sudden, you know, close up every gap defensively for Queensland? They're not. What I worry about is I, I think Latrell will torch Dane Gagai again. Of course he will. He'll torch him, and Trebojevic will torch everyone. Capewell, like, and come up through the middle of the field. And like you say, they lost Jake Trebojevic, who was quite ordinary in the first game, and replace him with Angus Crichton. No, Junior Paulo's into the starting Yeah, he's lineup. in the starting lineup, yeah. but then Crichton's come in on the bench. Oh, and I think Angus Crichton has actually been the form back rower in the comp. Yeah. In the past, New South Wales have always played a conservative brand of football, generally speaking, because it's origin and all this shit. Fittler doesn't play that way, and Cleary and Luai go for the throat. They don't hold back. The way they've had success at the Panthers, they attack. They're always attacking. It's not It's not so much Brad Fittler. I'll tell you what I think it is. I, think, I don't think Paul Green's a great coach. Paul Green had one season where the Cowboys, basically off the back of Jonathan Thurston, won a title. Yeah. You take that away, his record's not great. And it's hard. They just don't have the depth anymore. But Queensland used to win because their best 15 or 17 were practically the best players in their positions in the competition. I wonder if they weren't better off playing Val Holmes at fullback. Well, if you're going to play the Ben Hunt thing, I would have played Ben Hunt at nine. I would have played Val Holmes at fullback, brought Mulatalo into the team. And had Reese Walsh on the bench. Agree. Much better, much better way, at least. Much give better a taste, team. Right. And then your spine becomes Ben Hunt, Cam Munster, DCE, and Val Holmes. A little bit more experienced. I don't think they picked the right team, and I think that's on Paul Green, right? And I think um all the articles about, you know, Queensland is gonna come up, dude, it was fifty to six and it could have been more and it wasn't even close. And you know what? Queensland as much as they say they didn't try hard, they tried for a lot of that game. They just got outclassed and blown off. They did. Mark. They did. All right. This is tactically, you're talking about Queensland. You know what they should do? You remember that game years and years ago where Brian Smith played Brisbane when they were practically unbeatable? I think it might have been 98 in the semis, and all they did was kick yeah. the ball out and slow the game yeah. down for 80 yeah. minutes. I, I, and Para beat them. I absolutely think they should do that. They should <laughs> I'm do all that not sort of joking. Stuff. They should. I don't get why more teams this year haven't tried. It's not a bad team. If you're if you're losing sixty nil and you're the Tigers, I would be taking thirty seconds for every scrum, thirty <laughs> yeah. seconds for every dropout. I would be kicking to touch every at the end of every set. We'll see how we go. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to the close of another GNT show. Um, it will be likely a fortnight before we're back with you because there we'll only have Origin to talk about in the preview. So we'll. We'll see how we go next week, but it does bring us to the close of another week. We may see you next week. If we don't, we'll see you the week after. And thanks for joining us, and thank you, G. And hopefully this week you can avoid a drive-by shooting. No, this week I think I'll be heading off to London to apply for the Tottenham Hotspur manager's job. It seems to be being rejected by everybody. I think I'm next in queue. Next in the queue, yeah. I think. Does does Frank Farina want that role? (laughs) <laughs> no, but it's the last one. Someone, so there's no one left, so I'm thinking I'm putting my hand up. Good on you, G. Let, let me know how that goes. It might be just the tea and cat show next week. <laughs> it could be. See you then. All right. All right. See you. Bye, buddy.